I really like this new setup. I can actually hear MJ and Tammy sing at the same time. It's great. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 51 through 27. John chapter 6, verses 51 through 27, or 71, thank you. Uh, as you're turning, I want to give two things. First, uh, we're going to take a two-week hiatus with John as we approach the Easter season. Uh, second thing I want to say is, let me paint you a picture of what's happening in John chapter 6. Jesus continues to teach in the synagogue. Think of the synagogue as a church of sorts, okay? This is where you would expect to find people that are hungry for God. And Jesus appeals to them in the language of the common man, in the language of food. And over and over, Jesus does not lash out at them as they seem to be constantly confused and befuddled, but he explains salvation to them in a variety of image, images. But Jesus' words found no home in their hard heart. The people heard the words of eternal life but they, it came from a very comely, unattractive, worn-out man. The message and the messenger did not match. And they left the house of God. They left the bread of life to wander in a land of thorns and thistles. And when the whole crowd leaves Jesus, that synagogue is as quiet as a graveyard at midnight. And Jesus looks at his 12 remaining disciples and he asks them, do you want to go as well? And Peter pipes up, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That Statement by Peter is the key to a well-nourished Christian. So let's pick that thought up in our sermon in a sentence. Chew on Christ. Chew on Christ. Let us pray and we'll jump in. Gracious Father, as we sit here and discuss the bread of life, I pray that you would give us a holy appetite. Would you give us a hunger for Christ, to hear his words, to cherish his truths, to place a value upon his person above all the distractions of our day. Help us, Heavenly Father, that by your Spirit, these words may be to us words of life. Father, I ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Let's pick up in John chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews disputed then among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is a bread that come down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. Many of you may remember James Dobson. James Dobson had a famous uh, broadcast called Focus on the Family. If James Dobson was going to be famous today, he would have to title it Focus on the Food. Food was not a major focus in years past. I can remember growing up eating frozen brim out of the freezer Strawberry fig preserves out of the pantry and homemade biscuits at my grandmother's house. I went through an entire meal and never saw a nutritional label. That is not the case today. The change in labels reflects a change in our priorities. I want you to think of the labels we see in the grocery store. GMO, non-GMO, gluten-free, soy-based, Free-ranged, regenerative, I don't even know what that last one means, organic, high in saturated fats. It takes longer now to grocery shop than at any point in human history because we want to know what goes in our bodies. But this is also a failure on our part. We are made of both body and soul. When is the last time we've considered our soul nutrition? When is the last time we've seen a movie that will say, this may hurt your soul? 
Have we ever seen a, a disclaimer on TikTok that says that? Or on YouTube? Or in conversations with friends? No one has ever walked up to you and said, I will be a bad influence on your soul. We put a low priority on soul health. So the question for us today, how do we become spiritually healthy? How do we become spiritually healthy? Well, the answer is easy. We chew on Christ. Now, how in the world do we chew on Christ? I want you to think of it like two rows of teeth. Believe and know. We chew on Christ in the words of Peter by believing in him and knowing him to be the Holy One of God. Let's start with first things first. We chew on Christ by believing in Christ. Peter puts belief first because belief is important. Belief is the first ingredient of a healthy Christian life. We call it faith-seeking understanding. Peter says, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. Belief is not a work of the flesh. Belief is not a byproduct of good learning and a good family. Jesus says the flesh is no help at all. It is a spirit that gives life. Belief in Jesus Christ is profoundly spiritual. It's profoundly spiritual in terms of origin. In our text, the bread of life spreads a feast. And of all the people there, they don't all stay. Now let's just be honest for a moment. We live in the South. We love to feast. We love to eat. We love the nourishment. We love the satisfaction. We love the fellowship that comes with it. But in this feast, Jesus spreads. Everyone turns up their nose except 12. Now this should be a familiar picture to us. Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave. No greater miracle in the New Testament next to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is recorded. Some believe, some get angry, and go tell the Pharisees. Think of Jesus on the cross. He's crucified between two thieves. One believes in him, the other mocks him. The same fire that melts wax hardens clay. We see this over and over, and the question we have to ask is, why? When they grumble and complain in John chapter 6, they say, this is a hard saying. It wasn't the saying that was hard. It was their hearts. Just like our stomachs, our heart has a limit of what it can hold. They were so full of sin and the world that Jesus found no place there. They had no appetite for the bread of life. You see, belief is a faculty granted by the Spirit. When we were dead in our sins, we had no appetite for Christ. And the Spirit caused us to be born again. What do hungry babies do? Or what do newborn babies do? They want to eat. The, Peter says we have been born by an imperishable seed. And when you watch a seed sprout, the first thing that comes out is a root and a leaf. Why? The first thing a seed wants to do is eat. 
Let me explain it like this. Faith is the cup of which grace is received. I can remember working on a landscaping crew and we had one of those Gatorades and you push the spout and you drink. Faith, the Spirit gives us faith like that cup. We have to have the cup to receive the water. Without the cup, you got nothing to drink. You don't earn the water with the cup. The cup is simply the way to which we receive it. In the same way, the Spirit gives us the cup. The cup is not a way of earning the water. It's a means of receiving it. In the same way, faith is profoundly spiritual. It is given to us by the Spirit. But belief is also profoundly spiritual in terms of practice. St. Augustine once said that believing that faith is the mouth of the soul. Faith is the mouth of the soul. Believing in Christ is like, as they say, chewing the cud. And I must point out something. Faith comes first. We've all here had children. We know what happens. You cook for them and they say this. Mom, what's that? And what do you say? Just hush and put it in your mouth. In the same way, Jesus does not tell us to figure everything out. He calls us to believe. As we receive Christ, as we chew the cud, Christ is, is as near to our soul as food is to our body. He dwells in us by faith. By believing this union is so close that Paul will say things like this. I have been crucified with Christ. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you sense that nearness, that union? So what's the point here? Christ nourishes us by faith, by believing, which means that we must chew on Christ daily. Now, Peter does not simply say we have believed. Peter says we have believed and come to know. God is very gracious. God does not expect us to believe anything without evidence. Therefore, Peter says, we have believed and come to know. Behind faith, behind trust, behind belief is knowledge. If we are to chew on Christ, we must believe Him and know Him. Do we know Him? I don't mean do we know facts about Jesus. They knew who Jesus was, where He grew up. They knew His mama. They knew His brothers and sisters. They knew what he did for a living. They knew he didn't have any education. They knew lots of things about Jesus. But they didn't know Jesus. There's a big difference, isn't it? C.S. Lewis and the magician's nephew puts it like this. For what you see and hear depends a good deal on where you're standing. It also depends upon what sort of person you are. Worldly people cannot understand heavenly glory. 
If we are to believe in Christ, if we are to chew on Christ, we must know him in his humility. Here is the biggest stumbling block for the Jews. Jesus was nothing of a man. He was raised in a poor family. He had a questionable birth. He came from a bad neighborhood. He had no credentials, no education, no diplomas on the wall. He was like a hole in the wall diner, too dirty and too dingy for them to grace with their presence. Surely someone who offered eternal life like Jesus would not look so poor. Now we can't bend them over the barrel this morning. If an investment banker knocked on your door promising to give you a huge return on your investment and he was dressed in rags and looked like he hadn't bathed in a week, would you give him your money? You sure wouldn't. If the dentist's nickname was Snaggletooth, would you take your kids there? You probably wouldn't. If your physical trainer was 200 pounds overweight, you'd probably find another one. We expect the message and the messenger to match. I think this is one reason in Cinderella she runs away at, mid at midnight because she knows good and well that her rags will overshadow her riches. Herein lies the beauty of Christ's humility. His rags became our riches. His humiliation becomes our heaven. He became poor. He became of no account. He became as common as a loaf of bunny bread that we could have eternal life. Do we know him in his humility? Do we chew on Christ? Do we know him in his glory? Peter says he knows him as the Holy One of God. The Jews could not see this. This is why Jesus says, Well, what if you saw me ascended back where I came from? What if you saw me in glory? We have seen his glory. We have seen the glory of the resurrection. We have seen him ascended on high. And now he stands as the Holy One of God, as a banner, a beacon, a light, so that all who look on him will have life in him. In Hattiesburg, Mississippi, on the main drag, there is a Krispy Kreme. And its sign is lifted up high, and when that light is flashing, you know the donuts are hot and fresh. In the same way, Christ stands raised up above all nations, all powers, all philosophies, all things as a beacon, as a light, as a sign that all who look to Him will have life. That all who keep their focus on him will have his joy. But that requires a daily looking, a daily chewing on Christ. So now I ask the question, now what? What is so important? What do we do now? Well, in our text, we have three groups of people. One group left the table. They refused to chew on Christ. They left the bread of life and chose the way of death. And there, I tell you something, there are many other feasts out there today. 
Even just walking through Barnes and Nobles, I saw countless of them. The motto today is your life, your body, your choice. And in every possible way, we try to live this life as if we're giving God the middle finger. Just like the old heathens that said, eat and drink and be merry. Those things in this world will feed our flesh, but they will not feed our souls. We may all leave and go eat at their tables, but it will only end in death. But even still, Christ invites us to chew on him. Now there's a second group at the table. One who comes to the table, who is at the table frequently, and never chews on Christ. In our text, it is Judas. Robert Rollick points out that God, that Jesus called the Pharisees many things. But he only called one person a devil. And that was Judas, a fake convert. He reserved the harshest comment for him who was in the most dangerous position. Why? To sit at the table each and every week to hear Christ spread a feast through the preaching of his word and to constantly push the plate away. Do we not see how insulting that is to Christ? If every week we cooked a hot meal for our children and they pushed the plate away, it's a very serious matter. We're sitting at a Presbyterian church on a Sunday morning, and yet I know in every church around this country there are some who come every week and do not believe. There are some who have made a profession with their lips, but do not live it. If that is you today, Christ warns you in stern terms that he calls you a devil, and your punishment will be like his. But at the same time, Christ continues to sit the bread of life in front of you. And he invites us to chew on Christ. Finally, there are some here who have eaten, who have tasted that the Lord is good, and like Peter, they say, Jesus, you have the words of life. Where else can we go? We need to be nourished. But how are we nourished? By believing and knowing him daily. But let me remind you, Christ came as bread, not medicine. Someone told me a story this week about how their cholesterol was through the roof. So their doctor put her on Lipitor, and they came back the next week, and the doctor saw their cholesterol hadn't changed. And so the doctor said, how's your diet? And the man was honest. He said, I didn't change it. I thought that medicine would allow me to keep eating the way I'd always been eating. Christ is not medicine. Christ came as food. Some of us here struggle with the peace and the joy and the contentment in the Christian life because we're malnourished. But when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, a man whom foxes had holes and birds had nests and he had nowhere to lay his head, a man who's constantly exhausted, hounded, what we see is a life defined by peace and joy. 
That he had an abundance of life, so much so he could pour it out upon others. Why? Because he only heard and spoke the words of his father. That from a young age he believed and knew the words of life daily. From young to old to all of us in between. An abundant life depends upon chewing on the words of life daily. It is not medicine. We do not flip open the Bible when we're sad or mad. The Bible is not Prozac. It's word of life. It is bread. It is to be our meal daily. If you're feasting on other things, if you've got your 15 minutes of time with Jesus and then spend the next hours binging the news, engaging in pornography and other illicit material, and relationships that are toxic, I ask you, I exhort you, get rid of the junk food and feed on Christ. A wholesome diet, a source of spiritual nourishment, is one that feeds on Christ alone, Christ daily, and Christ often. Our diet may vary in the particulars, but the substance and the schedule will be the same. Christ alone, Christ daily, Christ often, Christ in His Word, Christ with His people, Christ in His church. To go on from strength to strength, to have an abundance of joy, to overcome sin and temptation and all the despairs of this life, to stand firm. We must be nourished. We must believe and know Christ daily. So church, I ask you, when is the last time we have chewed on Christ? With that being said, let us pray. Gracious Father, weak and weary is the words you often use to describe us, weak and weary. And we are. This life is hard. And yet man does not live by earthly bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So would these words be to us spirit and life? Would you renew us in the inner man, strengthen us day by day, that Christ may dwell in us richly, that we may know his immeasurable love toward us. So, Father, let this word continue to work its course in our life and the remainder of our day. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.